A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. Now, you might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, of course, you would be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. So today we're going to be joined by Zoe Franklin as we complete our mini series of speaking to those looking to stand in the next general election. Zoe is standing in Guildford as a Liberal Democrat candidate in what will be her third attempt to make it to Parliament. But first, last week, an estimated 500 people drowned following the sinking of a migrant boat just off Greece. Most of them were believed to be women and children. Almost simultaneously, five people went missing after the loss of contact with a private submersible diving to the wreck of the Titanic in the Atlantic. After several days, it was confirmed that they too were dead. Two sobering and shocking tragedies. But one has garnered the world's attention more than the other. Why is that? The lives of one group are not more important than the other. Romans chapter 2 verse 11 reminds us, for God does not show favouritism. Drownings of refugees are devastatingly frequent. At the end of last week, another boat sank off the Canary Islands, killing 30. 2023 has so far been the deadliest year for drowning since 2017. The statistics are dreadful, but since these news are so common, I wonder if people get lethargic about them, feeling so sad and helpless that they just disengage from the reality. Perhaps people don't want to feel guilt or shame or sadness, so they turn their thoughts somewhere else. The tragedy of the Titanic submersible wasn't such a common incident. It was a horrific and extraordinary event, and it has gripped the world's attention. Perhaps there is also an element of the facelessness of the migrants. We know the names of those on the submersible. That's not so for the refugees, although each one leaves behind a grieving family. We will probably never know who they all are. Joseph Stalin once chillingly said, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. Is that it? The five in the submersible are known. The press have spoken to their family and to their friends, and so it's a lot easier to feel connected to them. Regardless, the most shocking thing is the contrast of authority responses to the incidents. Reports allege that the Greek Coast Guard stood by and failed to act when they knew that the boat was in trouble. And subsequently, very few authorities have stood up to help the rescue mission. But Canada... The US, France, the UK and private firms all sent their best technology and experts to scour the Atlantic with a fine tooth comb for the Titan. These are all attempts to answer the question of why the responses have been so different. But whilst worlds away, the people on the submarine and those on the fishing boat will have had the same emotions, fear and desperate hope maybe. This helps us remember that they were all human. They were all fearing danger and even death as they made their risky journeys. And we remember that from the very beginning of creation, God taught us that all humans are made equally valuable and worthy. In Proverbs 12, verse 22, it says, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. So let's recognize that they are all made in the image of God. He knitted them together in their mother's wombs and numbered the hairs on each of their heads. For Christians, equality isn't an ideological choice or an evolutionary accident, it is a consequence of deliberate design. You matter beyond measure to the God who made you and who died for you. 
Revelation 7 verse 9 says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. God doesn't see the difference, and nor should we. These tragedies reveal much about the state of our minds and our society, but are also a humbling reminder that all humans are made equally by God, and we should treat each other with compassion, grace, and mercy. So as we pray today, let us lift to God the grieving families of those who died in the Titan, and of all those who are lost crossing the sea in search of safety and a different, better life. Let's pray for an end to the desperation and the drownings, for peace in the lands from which they are fleeing, and for compassionate action by the authorities seeking to find a way to better manage the displacement and migration of people across our world. And let us ask God for hearts that do not get weary, lethargic, or susceptible to compassion fatigue. A mucky business with Tim Farron. And so to our guest, Zoe Franklin is the Liberal Democrat parliamentary candidate for Guildford. Hi, Zoe, how are you? Hi, Tim, I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm absolutely marvellous and I'm very, very grateful to you for giving your time to be on the show this week. We're going to start off with, um, I don't know if it's a simple question or a hard one, but tell us about your faith. How did you come to be a Christian? What does that mean to you? Uh, so I became a Christian when I was 15. Uh, interestingly, off the back of, we had uh, German exchange students over and uh, I was good friends with one girl and her her German exchange student was best mates with mine. And so we ended up hanging out together. And in the process of doing that, she then started talking about her faith, introduced me to her friends. And I just, I felt a warmth and something. There was just something there that drew me to this group of people. And that kind of rolled into me going to church and then finding uh, Jesus for myself. And yeah, about 15 years old, I it, it really changed my life. And... When it comes to your connection to politics, so you're a Liberal Democrat, you're a parliamentary candidate for Guildford, we'll talk more about that in a moment or two, but was there a moment that you decided that politics was a thing that you were interested in, and was there any connection between that and your coming to faith? Um, in many ways, yes. I, I mean, I came to politics, I think, in terms of many people, quite late. I didn't come to it until I was about 25. Um, so I joke that it was sort of my quarter life crisis, <laughs> but I had always voted Lib Dem uh, and I had come to voting Lib Dem because I'd kind of read the preamble to the Constitution. That feels a very Lib Dem thing to say. Uh, and I, I I was a Christian at the time. I read that and went for me, that really resonated with my views on how God sees people and, and wants equality and freedom uh, and justice. And so that had kind of was the reason I voted Lib Dem. But then as I get older, that coincided with wanting to be involved in the community. Uh, as I graduated, uh, I was very involved in my local church. I was, uh, I got to go with my husband. We started getting involved in the residents association and organizing a games on the green, which was a brilliant community fun day. Um, and around that time, I was also reading uh, a book by Jim Wallace, um, who mm. many of your listeners will know is a Christian over in the States who's heavily uh, involved in, in talking about the intersection of politics and faith and it helped me to realize the stuff that I'd been sort of thinking about in my head about how God loves justice who a God who wants um people to be able to thrive I suddenly saw someone connecting the dots for me through passages from scripture uh, and 
talking me through basically how that can intersect with the the, the practical outworkings in politics because I think until that point I hadn't really thought that someone who was a Christian mm. would want to or could be involved in day-to-day -day politics. So this conclusion uh, you arrived at and um, what did you do? Yeah, so um, I was uh, working for a educational publishing company in London in the basement, having my sort of quarter life crisis of I want to change the world uh, and came to the point of going, actually, I, I I want to change jobs. And I actually applied for a job with with LDCF. That's the Lib Dem Christian Forum. Uh, I, In fact, I met you, Tim, through that. Indeed. Today, a five month stint, actually, while I was pregnant with my first son. And then, as they say, the, the, the next kind of bit is the rest is history. When I was off in maternity leave, uh, I was asked to stand uh, in a by-election in my local community. I said no initially, uh, and then they came back to me as a former MP for Guildford, and she said to me, Zoe, actually, all the things you're doing, you can do more, you can have more impact if actually you are a councillor. Please think about it again. I did, and I said yes, and then, yeah, the rest is history. The rest is history. Now, just a quick detour, Liberal Democrat Christian Forum, mm. we've talked to people who uh, run and organise the Christians on the left and the Conservative Christian uh, Forum as well. Now then, um, you do quite a lot of working, and back then, because I remember it happening, do quite a lot of working across party. What did that look like? Yeah, so I was really privileged to be able to work with, in fact, Andy Flanagan mm -hmm. uh, and the Christians in Politics team. And that brought together various conversations with people from uh, who was in the Labour Party and those in the Conservative Party. And it was a really exciting time. And we were kind of exploring how to talk to people of different um, dom dominations, but also different party views about the intersection of faith and politics and kind of make it more I guess acceptable to be a Christian in the political sphere because I think too often people feel that uh, it is a mucky business and they they don't they don't know quite how they're supposed to interact with it and is it okay and uh, we wanted to help people understand that it is okay uh, and yeah I, I think we did make some progress and it's fun, fantastic to see how Christian politics has evolved to where it is now. So you become a councillor in your community in Guildford and uh, fast forward a few years we're after the decimation of the Liberal Democrats in the 2015 general election and you find yourself as a candidate for that constituency one that's been held by the Liberal Democrats in the not too distant past but is now Conservative and you become uh, the candidate so how did that come about? Yeah so I I stood down from being a councillor in 2015 uh, for various personal reasons. and But I stayed involved with the local Lib Dem party here in Guildford. And I was involved with the referendum campaign to stay in the EU. And I was actually at the count uh, when, when you kind of all the results came in. And it was in a really emotional time. And afterwards, it became clear that there, there probably would be a general election. And... I was talking to my husband, we were thinking about, you know, I feel like we should do something. And he sort of said to me, well, that thing you've thought you might do in the distant future, do you think you might want to stand? And I thought about it and I went, actually, I do. I don't want to watch anyone else do it. I want to stand. I want to try and make a difference in my community and went through the, the kind of the process, found myself in the position that I was selected as the candidate and have, have stood twice since. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron.
we're talking to Zoe Franklin, the Liberal Democrat parliamentary candidate for Guildford. So you put yourself forward. Now, the first time round you stood, which was I think you were selected in 2016, that snap election that Theresa May called happened in uh, the June of 2017. And you didn't win, like lots of people, And uh, but you carried on. Now, you were, you were first time round the only person who applied, but in future, in the 2019 election and in this election for the election to come, you did face a contest. So what does that look like? Yeah, so I mean, you, you initially, before you even get a selected, you go through an approval day um, and then, yeah, as you say, in 2017, uh, I was fortunate enough to get selected without having to go through a contest but uh, post 17 and post 19 that looked quite different there were multiple people who applied for the seat uh, and that you you go through effectively a, a short campaign of about six weeks where it's your job to convince the members of the local party that you are the best person for the job so it's actually a lot like fighting a mini election mm. campaign and it, I think it's really really helpful because it helps you to practice those skills you're going to need uh, in a real a real life election but it also helps raise your profile within the in the local members helps to build your team helps to get people who perhaps weren't involved engaged with the local party uh, and I was fortunate enough on both occasions to come out of that those ele internal elections uh, as the winner. So you're the parliamentary candidate for a seat where you came a, a good second last time round. Remind me of the majority. Uh, 3,337. Well, that's about the size of the one I overturned in 2005. So there you go. Uh, so it's very, very doable. Um, but of course, as well as being, you know, full on candidate, you have a family, you've got other things to do, normal life. How do you balance it? Because it's not your full time job, at least not yet. No, and it is a it is a juggling act. Um, I'm really fortunate that my husband uh, is incredibly supportive. It is effectively a whole family project. Um, so I have two sons; they are 15 and 12. In fact, they have known nothing else but mum doing politics. They they think it is perfectly normal. And it was only when they kind of got to secondary school that they came to realise mum going around knocking on doors and being on leaflets that go through everybody's door is not normal. <laughs> so we work together on it. Um, my other half does a lot of kind of taxing and looking after the kids while I'm doing other things but there's a real feeling that we we were called to do this um as a family and we also have um, a, a wide network of friends and people supporting us in the in the background and that's so so important being called to stand for parliament uh, is one thing but of course we don't always win and as you say we we've the last two times good results but not over the line in terms of winning so you've lost the election like you did in 2019. What, what happens next? Do you go through a process of uh, weighing up whether your calling is still in that area? Because um, it, it can be, I mean, I've been there myself. I've lost plenty of elections. You feel sometimes like maybe, obviously it's a huge disappointment, but then you wonder, right, is there something else I should be doing? How, how did that work out for you? Yeah, so casting my mind back to 2019, that was that was really hard um, because there was every possibility that we we could have won. Um, but I'd held on quite lightly to it. And I found for me personally, that's been really important. I hold on to the fact that whatever happens, I have made a difference in people's lives. I have given it my all. Uh, and I'm, I, I firmly believe that through what I'm doing, I'm making the world a better place. So it helps to, in a sense, cushion the blow slightly. But it doesn't stop me from 
um, having to go through that process of of grieving it's really hard um, and particularly when all, all those friends that you have in the in the local party who've worked so hard to try and help you win are also feeling it and in fact so many people in the wider community would come to me and say oh sorry I'm so sorry you didn't win I was so disappointed so you're kind of carrying a double mm. weight you're mm. carrying your own disappointment but you also have people who don't mean to sort of put their disappointment on you as well but there is that element of, oh, I, I've somehow let them down. Um, and you come through that in time after, you know, taking some time to, to just relax and recoup. Mm-hmm. Um, and afterwards, I have to say, I, it, it for me, it wasn't very long to be a, before I kind of went, no, this is this is still where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to do this again. We've come so close. And actually, I, I, I want to do it again. Being the MP for Guildford is really important to me. Uh, and I believe I can make a difference. And so I, I, I kept going and was kind of back on the wagon very quickly. How does being a Christian help you to cope with those disappointments and those big decisions you have to make in the aftermath of them? Yeah. So I think it for me, it's a lot about it keeps me grounded. There is something more than me. Um, and actually, I don't have to go through it alone. And that is in a very literal sense that, you know, Mm. I've I've got Christians around me who have absolutely picked me up um, with hugs and coffee, but also by praying and and supporting in ways that I'm probably not even aware of. I've got a number of people who are really, really committed to praying for me uh, in the background. Um, But also knowing God is there with me in it. uh, And that is just so helpful to carry me through now i'm not making any assumptions but if it's like any other church community not everybody's a liberal democrat i find it's hard to understand but apparently that is the case so what, what's it like and are we asked this question of uh, labor and uh, and conservative um, brothers and sisters who've been on the show in recent time in a similar position what's it like being in church community um when whilst i'm sure many people are very supportive of you um others might may well be supportive of you personally may love you as a sister in Christ and might not be planning to vote for you how does that work out yeah so I've been really fortunate that in church people have always been incredibly supportive and positive even if they don't choose to vote liberal democrats there has never been a question mark over me being involved in politics which is lovely Mm. and there's never been any kind of pushback Sadly, the road of being a Christian politics isn't always without bumps. Um, Certainly my experience uh, in hustings and also in correspondence with with some people about my faith and in particular some Christians has been a little bit more bumpy, has been a little bit more challenging because inevitably we're not all going to agree with each other on every single policy and that's okay. Um, I remember casting my mind back to 2017 we did a, a church hustings and that was probably one of the most challenging hustings I'd done simply because we were going through, um, I got challenged quite a lot uh, on various issues that could be described as conscience issues. So things like abortion, um, gay marriage and, and things like that. And I was accused of not being a Christian because I didn't agree with someone's particular view on those topics. And that's really hard to hear. Um, and you, I think you have to be fairly um, confident in your faith that you're in the right place on, on those issues. Mm. So we're going to come to close in a moment. But final thing is, if you were 
And I, I did bump into a, a, a Lib Dem Christian who was thinking about running for Parliament last week. So if you'd bumped into that same person, they asked you for some advice. Zoe, what would you, what would you say to them? Um, I'd almost use a phrase that I think Andy Flanagan coined, which is around finding your tribe. Mm. So finding those people who are going to support you um, through the journey and through the decision of whether or not you want to put yourself out there. Um, as a Christian in the world of politics. And actually, I say it to anyone who wants to get involved in politics, but I think it's particularly important for Christians. Um, And I also encourage people, for those members of your tribe, not to be family members. And the reason I say that is because your family want to protect you uh, and want to make your life as as easy as possible. Um, And so when the challenges come, it, it can be quite hard for them to help you through those difficult challenges so actually having those people outside your your family to help you uh, pray through help you get through those challenges um, is really crucial so having that tribe that's my number one tip Zoe it's been a real blessing having you with us as always with these things we've got to the end far sooner than I assumed we would but wonderful to talk to you and we wish you all the best thank you Tim Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It may be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk, and there is a very strong chance that I'll be answering it on an episode over the next few weeks. Well, this week, Philip in Kent has been in touch, and he says the following... How can we Christians develop cultures of safeguarding within churches, but also other institutions like government and state? And how can we as individuals react to these issues and hold institutions and the like accountable for issues of safeguarding? We should really care about this as as Christians. So, uh, Philip, thanks for asking it. And I think the first thing to say, I think underlying your question, Philip, is that churches have not been absolutely perfect at dealing with this in recent times and that's to say the least Uh, there have been cases where issues of safeguarding have been poor and where great offenses have happened within churches almost systematically even Um, and that could sometimes be because of a a wrong-headed view of forgiving people who've behaved badly yes forgiveness is available to all but even forgiven sin has consequences there must be justice and the people who have been victims of offence must be protected, indeed protected in advance of it happening, but certainly receiving justice in the aftermath of anything. And so that means that we've got to think very differently about how our, how our organisations within churches operate. We should want to be professional. We should want to comply with government legislation, not because we are box tickers, although that is important to comply uh, in order to be uh, compliant with the law, but because mostly we want to be people who care for those who are the most vulnerable. That should be one of the things that are at the forefront of our mind in every aspect of our lives as Christians. And in putting our own house in order, then we should be holding other organisations, educational institutions, voluntary bodies, the government as a whole to account to make sure they look after the least and the most vulnerable, uh, rather than advantaging often those people who are the most powerful. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we draw to the end of our time together, let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we lift up to you uh, all those who lost their lives on this submersible and all those who lost their lives in that fishing boat, those 500 refugees. 
We thank you, Lord, that all of them were known to you, um, that your heart breaks, as ours should, over each and every one of them and the suffering of their families as a consequence. And we pray you'd help us to remember um, the equality and the enormous value and worth of every single human being. Lord, help us not to grow weary of caring, uh, not to get compassion fatigue, and to intervene in ways which would honour you where we can. And we thank you also uh, for those who are called into political service. We think of Zoe uh, and uh, Rebecca and also David, who we interviewed in recent weeks, who are putting themselves forward for the Liberal Democrat, Labour and Conservative parties as Christians at the coming general election. Thank you for calling Christians into politics. Sustain them and their families, that they may honour you, that they may have strength, they may have times of joy and satisfaction, and that they might uh, be called where you place them, into Parliament or somewhere else, uh, either side of the next general election. We hold all of them up to you in prayer, and we lift all our prayers up to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget that you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. 